Um, this is this is a unique setting for us to be worshiping. And Hi, and welcome to the Bluff Church Podcast. Right now your, Each week we bring you the Sunday message from the Bluff Church in Palm Bluff, Missouri. Like if you like our podcast, we'd appreciate it if you take a moment and leave a review on your favorite listening platform My heart on iTunes or Google Play. Your review hope you helps other listeners find our podcast. Well in this, this for more information about the Bluff, we invite you to visit our website at thebluff.church or our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just search for the Bluff Church. If you live in the Poplar Bluff area, we invite right you to come all be a part of the Bluff country, on any Sunday at 10.27 a.m. in the ballroom of the Holiday Inn. Now here's this week's message. With other friends and family members, or they're at work, and they're, they're stopping to, to draw their heart and focus to God. And, and what a time for us to be the church. For we know, especially we at the Bluff know, that church is not about a building. It's about a people who are united under the banner of Jesus. And so this might be some of the finest hours of the church. Even right now, as our heart aches to want to be together, to do life together, as sweet as the time is that we're, we're together on Sunday mornings, we know right now that this might be the time where, where God is starting to, to unite us as a church and that God can still bring good about this when there are hearts out there who want to make a difference even in the time that we're in. Because God does that all the time. When there are people who have a heart to want to make a difference for God's kingdom, even in their limitations, God works wonders through them. Most of you who are in college or young adults, you know this well. You, you sit there late at night, and maybe you're by yourself, or maybe you're with roommates, and it gets to be about like 2 o'clock in the morning, and you start talking about your dreams and aspirations for the future and how you want to make a difference in this world. And, and I've been there. I remember being there in college, and, and us, me and my roommates, late at night, would be up late, and we'll start talking about all the many things that we want to do in the future and how we want to make a difference. And, and we always felt like we were being told to wait. That those are things that we had to wait one day to do but because we had such limitations and where we were presently at. But we decide one day that we were going to stop waiting. We were going to stop letting the situations around us prevent us from making a difference. So we did something really cool. You see, the community that we were in in Knoxville had this problem where it's one of the worst places in the world of victimizing and abusing women. And we decided we were going to do something about it. And so we put on a fundraiser where we gathered a whole bunch of people together and we, we put on a tournament for video games. I know that seems a little weird, but what we would do is we would pay people, or not pay people, but people would pay to participate in this tournament that we were throwing together, this video game tournament. And, and the winner of the tournament got a, a cash prize, but the vast majority of the funds that were brought in were immediately sent to an organization in the city that worked to, to rescue and, and recover women who were victimized and abused and things like that and help them rehabilitate back into society. We knew we couldn't be on the front lines, but we thought we could do the best, we, we could do something to still make a difference in the, the middle of our problem, the crisis that we saw. Because we were tired of, of feeling like we were having to wait when we saw such need out there. Now, this wasn't my idea to do this. This was actually my roommate's idea. I just helped with the, the check-in booth, but this was something we felt like we had to do. Because we saw such great need in our community and we wanted to be involved in making a difference. We wanted to be part of God's solution to the problems. And we knew we couldn't be in the front lines because of where we were at in life, but we could help those who were. And that's part of what being a Christian is, is that when you understand your relationship with Jesus and what the gospel means, you can't help but to look at the problems in this world and know that you must get involved. 
That you must be part of what God is doing and bringing about good into our world because that's much of what the gospel is about. As we've been going through this rooted series and talking about that, that we have this madly complex God who is madly in love with us and he created us to be in harmony with him. He created us to be good. But we know the story didn't last like that. That There came a point in time where humanity rejected God where it was supposed to be in love with God, it was supposed to be in harmony with God, but it decided that it wanted to be God. And our world has never been the same. That's why we've got wars and disasters and disease, and we've even got this situation. But remember, our God is a God who takes the bad and brings about good. Because while we were in this state of rebellion against God, of being known as sinners against God, God decided to step into the mess of our world in the form of Jesus. He took on flesh. He lived among us. He faced the same things that we face all the time. And then he died, sacrificing his life so that you and I could have the relationship we were supposed to have with God, so that you and I could be in harmony with God. See, that's what it means to be a Christian. It's not, let's say a little prayer so that we can get to heaven. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about being in harmony once again with God, of being in relationship with God, and that relationship means that we're part of God's big purpose of making him more famous and seeing this broken world be restored and rescued and returning to what it was once created to be. And that began the very day that Jesus got up from the grave, when it changed everything everything about our world. You see, and if you read in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, it talks about how this reversal began, and it says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, this is the day right after the Sabbath, which means it's Sunday morning, and every gospel writer makes mention of that because it's a significant detail, and here's why. When you go back to the Genesis story, the page one in your Bible, the creation story, if you're curious on where that's at. In that story, you'll see that there's a, a sequence in which God creates everything. And so you get to Friday, and God creates humanity. And humanity was supposed to be his image bearer. It was supposed to reflect him. It was supposed to be in harmony with him. And for a little bit, it was great. And then the next day comes, and it's Saturday, and God rested after creation. And in the Old Testament, that day became known as a Sabbath. And it was supposed to be a day that humanity was supposed to rest from its work from the prior week where you're supposed to be satisfied in all the work that God and you did in this past week. And this was a cycle that was built into the world. So you fast forward several thousands of years and you have Jesus on a Friday being killed. Jesus, who was the only true human free of sin and guilt, who was in perfect harmony with God and the perfect image bearer of God, was killed on the same day that God created everything. Now, that's rather significant, right? Well, it gets even better because the very next day, Jesus rested in his grave, the same day that God rested after creation. You see the parallel? This is really cool. There's, there's a sense when you read this of there's something going on here that the gospel writers are trying to communicate, that there's something new seeming to be brimming under the surface. And it continues when you read the very next verse. It says in verse 2, And it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. So get this, on the first day of the week, on Sunday morning, Jesus gets up from his grave. That's not a, hey, this is the start of a a new week. This is saying this is the start of a whole new way of life. This is the start of God's new creation as the kingdom has invaded into our world and it goes about changing everything. It doesn't just change the the matter of life and death. It also changes social status and social structure of the day because who was the first to witness this? But the women. And that's a significant detail and here's why. Because in that day and age, a woman's testimony meant nothing. If you were a female and you witnessed a crime and you tried to report it, you would not have been considered a reliable witness because you're a woman. That was the society in which the, this gospel is being written. And, and yet it's significant that every single gospel writer makes mention of the fact that the first people to witness and tell people about Jesus were women. Because here's the thing. Our world might want to belittle women, but the Bible uplifts them. Because God's word has a very high view for women. It is constantly throwing its opinion against the world of the day. Now we read this oftentimes with a 21st century mindset and think the Bible is all about putting women down. But when you understand the culture of the day, you see, no, that God's word is all about lifting women up. Because these were the women who were, who were following Jesus, who took care of him. But they also had a reputation of being demon-possessed and prostitutes and all sorts of scoundrels, and they follow Jesus, and they're the very first ones entrusted to tell people that Jesus lives. Because in God's kingdom, women are restored to being equal with men. They're not above men. They're not below men. They are equal as partners in God's kingdom. This was the beginning of God's reversal of all things. All that was broken in this world, God was in the the midst of turning things around and restoring things. And it it began with the women who went around telling people and telling the disciples, we need to get ready for Jesus because Jesus is alive. But not everybody responded as positively to the fact that Jesus was alive. You see, if you read the very next verse, it says in verse 11, that while they were going out, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So get how ironic and almost comical this is. Where these are trained Roman killers. And they're guarding a tomb. And all of a sudden an angel comes down. And angels are terrifying beings. They're not like the little Cupid babies that we think of. Like these are beings of war. 
And it comes down and there's an earthquake and it looks like lightning and they look as clean as snow. And these guys see this angel move this massive stone and they see the grave and it's like the angel pretty much just judo chops them all unconscious. Like that's what's being expressed here. That these guys, they just fall into a panic and they fall unconscious. And then the angel talks to the women. And he's, he's being very kind to them, and they go on their way. But then these Roman soldiers wake up later, and they have kind of a decision to make. And so they, they run back to the people who manipulated the death of Jesus, who were the highest authorities in the land. And they start telling everything that happened. They're like, hey, the grave is now empty. There was this angelic being who came down, and he, we just fell unconscious because it was so terrifying. And the leaders of that day, the ones who manipulated the death of Jesus start plotting and start manipulating again. Telling these guys, hey, let's pay them off so they don't tell this real story and let's pay them extra as well. So they go around spreading these lies as if a, a lie that's saying Jesus was robbed, that his body was taken away is going to compare when people physically see Jesus. See, this wasn't a matter of disbelief to these guys. This wasn't a matter of lack of evidence. Look, there's plenty of evidence to prove out there that Jesus was alive, and so I'm not going to get into the topic of that right now this morning. I want you to notice that this was a matter of the heart for the people, that to accept that Jesus is who he says he has been, and to accept the fact that he is, in fact, risen from the grave, meant that they can't have all authority and control in their lives like they're used to. So that's oftentimes the first challenge when, when we hear the gospel of recognizing that means we're not in charge of our lives. That we can't have all authority. That we can't have control over everything that goes on. And so for these guys, that's one reason why they wanted to kill Jesus to begin with because he was going in the face of their authority and control. And now they find that all their efforts were for nothing. So they try to lie their way out of this to protect themselves. But it doesn't stop what Jesus was doing. Because as these women were going around finding the disciples and preparing for them, Jesus was about to start something that led to us being able to have worship of Jesus 2,000 years later. And it's because of what we read next. As we read in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mount to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now, I read this and I get confused by that phrase sometimes. The, the phrase, but some doubted. And maybe you do as well. Like, how could people possibly doubt that Jesus was alive when he's physically standing right there in front of him? And that's partially because this phrase, but some doubted, is a, kind of a mistranslation in some ways. See, the Greek word that's used here, we translate it to be, but some doubted. And when we do that, we lose some of the original meaning, and we take part of the negative meaning in our world of disbelief, of the word doubt, thinking of it means disbelief. But that's not really a good translation here. A better translation is more of, but some hesitated. Meaning that, that they saw Jesus, they, they believed in Jesus as God's son, as the God in the flesh before them. But they hesitated. Wondering, what, what does this mean for my life? If Jesus is alive, what does this mean for our very existence? 
And so we can't blame people and these disciples for thinking that because you and I do the same thing all the time. We struggle to put our trust in God. There are some who are, are very adamant and very radical. Of like They hear the gospel and they're immediately like, I'm giving everything to God. I'm on my face. Uh, this is totally what my life is about. I have complete trust in God. But then the vast majority of us have a little bit more hesitation. Of, I'll just trust God with a little bit. And then if I see that he's faithful in that, then I'll, I'll go a step further and then a step further and then a step further because we hesitate because there's this fear of the unknown. Of if Jesus really is who he says he is, and if he has really risen from the grave, what does that mean for my life? And what's comforting is what Jesus says kind of goes to both groups. As he looks at them and he says in verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How encouraging it is to read those words at a time like this. As we're in our different locations all over the place and, and there's this fear of the unknown of what's coming ahead with this virus that, that we can still open up God's word and still see Jesus say, all authority has been given him. Like if you open your Bibles right now, the words aren't magically changing to say all authority has been given to heaven or given to Jesus except in the event of the coronavirus. It doesn't say that. It says all authority has been given to Jesus. That everything submits to him. Remember, this is what the, the Bible is all about. God's story is all about is bringing everything under the authority of Jesus. This has been God's big purpose, to create a family that is in a restored creation that's all under the banner of Jesus and people who live to help bring others into that relationship with Jesus. This has been God's agenda since before creation began, to bring everything under the authority of Jesus. And because everything is under the authority of Jesus, Jesus now gives them commands of how they are to go about reminding people and making people aware that everything is now under the banner of Jesus. And it's in this next verse, which says in verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So he, he's saying that since Jesus has all authority, we now have the responsibility to make that aware to others. Meaning that those who have been made right with God have a right to make this world right. And we do that by discipling one another, by baptizing people into the family of God, and by teaching others how to obey Christ and how to teach others to obey Christ. See, this is God's cycle. This is how God uses us to restore the world day by day by day. It's by going and discipling others. So let me be clear on what this is not saying. This is not saying go and evangelize the world. It's saying go and disciple the world, which is a very clear difference. Growing up, when I heard this passage preached, there's almost like there was this silent groan in the room because everyone always thought, here goes the pastor starting to talk about why we should be evangelizing more, why our family, friends, and coworkers, they need to hear the gospel. And that's certainly true. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying go and disciple them, which is a much more difficult task, but much wider in scope. Because discipleship is all about relationship. It's all about being in each other's lives, being there for the good times and the bad, about encouraging one another, providing hope to one another, 
wisdom and guidance to one another. It's about pushing one another and inspiring one another to love God more and love people more. See, sometimes we get this wrong mentality when it comes to evangelism and discipleship. Like we want the, the vast numbers of people to come rushing to Jesus because it's exciting. It's very energetic when you see people all over the place raising their hands and saying, yes, with teary eyes, I want to follow Jesus. And they're running after Jesus and they're running to the stage at a conference or an event or you're in another country and you're seeing all these people come to, to Christ. And it's very exciting and it's easy in that moment to leave and feel good about yourself. Thinking, I've done a good job. Now there's all these people who are, who are now Christians, but but we leave them aimless. We leave them without a relationship and without connection. We're out anywhere to go and we might actually do more harm than good in that. It's kind of like the parable that Jesus gave of the sower who, who sowed seeds everywhere. And if you recall in that parable, there was plants that sprout up in a variety of different locations. It wasn't just the good soil, but it was also the rocky ground and the place of the thorns. They still sprouted up, and, and we get excited seeing all that. Like, look how many people have come to faith, and then yet we watch people start dropping off, and those who are in the good soil remain, and we just you know, say, oh, that means they're just, they're just better at it. And that's not the point of the parable. When Jesus gave that parable, it was to encourage us, hey, let's disciple. Let's not just get excited about that little sprout from the seed, but let's see people grow and produce fruit and plant other seeds themselves and work to, to nurture the ground so it's good soil. It's about relationship and our discipleship with one another. And Jesus is asking his followers to go out and disciple one another to bring people into the fold through a relationship with each other that leads to a relationship with Jesus, that they baptize one another into this movement, that they're teaching one another what does it mean to follow Jesus and how do we teach others to do the exact same, all because Jesus believed in this principle, which we believe here as well at the bluff, and it's this truth, that every believer is a difference maker. Every believer is a difference maker. Part of our history in the church is all about that. Being a Christian, being a believer, is that you are united to people from thousands of years ago who have made a difference to bring it so that you could be here today and you are part of that legacy. Look back at, say, AD 232. A plague was sweeping the world and it was leaving devastation wherever it went. And there was a city named Carthage and when the plague hit the city of Carthage, the officials got involved. They, they decided, let's act quickly. And so they started to take the dead and they, they send them out uh, or to, to get rid of the bodies. And, and those who were sick and infected, they, they kicked them out of the city because the officials were trying to do everything they can to keep people safe and healthy. And so the bishop of Carthage saw a problem with this. He saw that there were these people outside the city who were being kicked out of the city, who had no church, who had no connection to Christ. They were aimless. And he, so he called together the church in Carthage. His name was Cyprian. And Cyprian called together the church in Carthage. And he inspired the Christians there, saying, hey, let's go out, leave everything behind. Let's go out and live amongst these people who are sick and infected so that they might have Jesus among them. Because that's what Jesus would have done. Jesus goes to the brokenhearted. Jesus always went to the sick. And so Cyprian was 
calling for his church saying, hey, let's be like Jesus. Let's go out to those who are suffering. Let's take care of them. Let's be the church among them. Let's remind them that Jesus still loves them. And this changed so much of Christianity in the early centuries because this group of people who went and did this were called the Paraboloni or Parabolana. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, but it's Greek for those who risk their lives. And this movement lasted hundreds of years of this group of Christians who are willing to risk everything to make a difference in someone's life, to bring the gospel to them, to see people discipled and come into relationship with Jesus. And you are part of that legacy. I've said before, and I'll say again, this might be some of the finest hours of the church because this is a scary time, but this might be the way that God is working to bring about his kingdom, and you play a part in it. You are a difference maker in that. You see, you are a difference maker because our madly complex God is madly in love with you. You are a difference maker because Jesus has made the way for you to be in a relationship with your creator. You are a difference maker because even though there's suffering in the midst of today, you are able to see that this is not the end of the story, that God has a plan and God is working to bring about his good. You are a difference maker because you are who God says you are. You are a difference maker because in being who God says you are, you now live to extend God's glory. You are a difference maker because you're a contributor to God's mission and not a consumer. And you are a difference maker because you're willing to trust God with your money in a time like this. See, you were made to be a difference maker. Not to be on the sidelines, but to be involved. And you can do this. So parents... Right now, your kids are home for the next several weeks. And I know you might be driving each other nuts. And you're probably counting on the days of when can school be back so we can get rid of the kids and send them off. But, but I want to encourage you to have a different mindset. To see this as an opportunity. You've got your kids for the next few weeks. So disciple them. That's your job. That's not the church's job. It's your job to disciple them. Because you are the biggest difference makers in their life. So have those tough conversations this next few weeks. Open up your Bible. Hey, watch this as a family. And then discuss about it afterwards. Use this time to invest in your kids and make a difference. Show them that church for you is not about a building and gathering with others. It is about being united with Christ and being on mission with Christ. Because this might be the season which five years from now or 10 years from now, 15 years from now, they might look back and sure they might talk about, yeah, that was uncomfortable being stuck at home with my siblings and my parents. But then they'll start talking about this was the season in which my relationship with my parents changed into a positive way. This is the season where my parents showed me how much I meant to them. This was the season where my life and my walk with Christ was rooted and changed forever because I saw my parents willing to make a difference in my life and investing Christ in me in this time frame. Parents, you can do this. And look, we are on your side here at the Bluff. You go online and you'll find resources from our Bluff kid leaders. They've done a wonderful job providing resources so that even in your state, when you might be thinking, I don't know a lot about the Bible, I don't know what, how to have this conversation. Look, our leaders here have got your back so you can go online and find resources there to help you in this. 
At the very least, just open up the Bible, go read one of the Gospels together as a family, talk about it, worship together, even sing along with us. I know it can be awkward when you're home and you're singing in your living room, but do it anyway. Show your family this matters. Spouses, do the same for each other. You're stuck at home with each other. Maybe your marriage hasn't been in the best place recently. But if you look around, you'll notice that that God has been kind of removing all of the former distractions. Sports are gone, closes, or stores are closing and things like that. There's not as much you can do outside, so everyone's stuck at home. Use this time then to invest in one another, to bring Christ back into your relationship, to be a difference maker to each other because you are the biggest difference makers for each other. When you go at work, and you hear people talking about the panic and, and they're afraid, show them why you have hope. Be the difference maker at work. Be someone who's working because you know, hey, while this is inevitable, you know it's not the end of the story, that God is still in control and you are working alongside God. Show people that this, these next few weeks. Be a difference maker wherever you are. And when you see people in your commu- community who are in need, Make a difference there. Don't just see the needs around you, but get involved in making a difference. Seeing how you can help. You were made for this. You were put on this earth at this time frame to be part of this. And you can do this. Like I said, this might be some of your finest hours as a Christian. So make the most of it. Because if you're a believer, you were meant to be a difference maker. And we can do this. And I get sometimes this is going to be difficult. It's not always easy, even in the midst of today, to bring about good because in the situation we're in, it brings about either the best or the worst in people. And so people might criticize you because you feel the need to do something or, or to, to go about doing something in a certain way in this time frame to make a difference. And people are, might going to criticize you when you're thinking, I'm doing this for Jesus. Or I'm doing this because I want to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. People are going to criticize you during this time. Being a difference maker is not an easy job. But you can do it because Christ has given you all authority to do it and because Christ believes you and because of the final words in which he says to his disciples as he gives them the big mission to start his church, he looks at them with all the fear and anxiety they must have. He looks at them and here's the words he says. The final words, which are in verse 20, it says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the king who created the world, who saw when it broke apart, decided to invest in it and to be there among his people and to restore all things by his death and resurrection. That king Jesus is with you now. So when you're thinking, I've got all this going on, all this mess in my life, know that he is with you. That he believes in you. We can be what Christ made us to be. And we firmly believe, this is a core value to who we are as Christians, and believing that every believer is a difference maker. We want to be known as that church here in town. We want to be the kind of people that in the midst of all this, when everything settles, people look back and say, you know what, who ma- the people who made the most difference or the people who go to the bluff. Man, that, those people there, they were invested into the community during this time frame. 
They loved God and loved people in the midst of this. They were the people, if you are, are tired of church or you've been hurt by church, that's the people you want to be among because they loved God so much that they were willing to make a difference. They weren't just willing to sit back in the time like this. They were willing to get involved. And we can be that kind of people because Christ believes in us. Because Christ has saved us. Because Christ has rescued us. And we are united with Christ and all authority has been given to him and we're part of that. So as you're in your places in life, look around and ask yourself, where can I make a difference today? Won't you pray with me? Father, it is so good that even in a dark time, when things aren't really going the way we want them to be going, you are still bringing good in the midst of this. How amazing that right now we might look more like the New Testament church than ever before as we gather together in, in our small little families and our small groups, as we eat together, as we worship, maybe even do communion together. What an opportunity we have right now to look like what the church first looked like and to be the church, to remind ourselves that church isn't about a building. It's about the people who are all about making a difference for your kingdom. And if that means we serve one another, we will do that. If that means we tell one another about what Jesus is doing in our life and, and what the gospel is, then we will gladly do that. But we will invest in one another during this time frame, Father, because we believe we can make a difference for your kingdom. It's in your name I pray. Amen.